You're saying that is who you are. So some of you are coming into this room this morning waiting on God to make a way. And at the same time, you're professing you are the way maker. In other words, what are you waiting on? You think you're waiting on God to make something? God's already created everything. He's already made every way. He's already straightened out every crooked path. How did He do that? I'm glad you asked. His name was Jesus. And the moment that you learn how to put total faith and obedience in the name of Jesus, you'll find out the way was already made. Maybe disbelief was in the way. Maybe doubt was crippling you. Maybe you didn't wake up thinking that God had already done, but the work is finished, friend. It's never going to be done again. Calvary answered every problem. The way has already been made. Just get up every day and speak the name Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's already made a way for you. The way has already been provided. All you have to learn how to do is invoke it over your situation. I can help you. I can assist you. Your prayer partner can help you and assist you. But ultimately, it's up to you. The way has already been made. Jesus. Jesus. Woo! Jesus. I say that name and demons tremble. I hope, I hope a shiver runs up your spine every time I say that word because demons, hell responds when you say that name. I hope this church will. I hope the church of the living God responds to the name of Jesus because every devil in hell just trembles a little bit and shivers go up their spine when you speak the name of Jesus because they know a way is about to open up in your path. You can't build an obstacle too big for Jesus. The way has already been made. That is who you are. And if you're in this place right now and need an open door or you need a blessing or you need an outpouring, why don't you start putting your hands together? Why don't you let heaven hear you? You have the faith to believe. He is the way maker. That's who he is. That's who he is. You're not waiting on a thing. It's already here. His name is my God in heaven. This was the old church I'd run around this building. The way has already been made. You're not waiting on a thing. He is here. That is who you are. Father God in this house, I pray your spirit will settle and teach us today from your word. You are our way. You are our truth, and you are our life. Let us leave here today with a better understanding in our spirit and in our heart and in our mind that you've already done everything that we needed to make everything happen that's going to be. We love you. We release our faith, and we pray you move in this house today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. And amen. You can give him one more hand clap of praise if you so inclined. Welcome to Promise of Victory, our Sunday celebration of our risen Savior. I am so glad to have you here this morning. You can be seated uh, in the presence of the Lord. I am so glad to have you here. Uh, we wouldn't uh, have a reason to be here and profess this gospel if you weren't here to listen to it and to receive it. And I pray you did come to receive uh, I'm on week five and the last week of a series that I've been preaching called Cancel Culture. 
I'm going to do this morning uh, a sermon that was probably uh, three sermons that I'm trying to combine into one. Uh, it is a topic that I have taught on and preached about many, many times through my ministry. And yet I'm not sure that it has ever been as evident or as prominent or as important as it is right now, especially with the year 2020 in our rearview mirror. What I'm going to preach about this morning is the spirit of offense. I've spoke to this topic many, many times in my ministry. And what I want to talk to you about being offended today is the dangers of being offended. Because make no mistake about it, many of the problems that we have interpersonally, that means between one another, many of the problems that we have centers around this one spirit or this one mindset. And that is offense. I'm going to solve a lot of your problems today through the work of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the Word. I pray you're able to receive it in the spirit in which I'm going to preach it. I'm not going to leave this pulpit very much because I have a lot to say. If I get sidetracked and get out of this pulpit and don't stick to my notes, I don't usually preach like this. You know me. I usually have some points and I let the Holy Spirit take me where He wants to go. But because I have so much information and I want to get it all to you, I'm going to have to stand here and kind of read to myself and I'll just let you eavesdrop over what I'm saying. Amen? There's a lot of people that don't know how to control themselves emotionally in the world that we live in. And they take on a spirit that I call the spirit of offense. And it basically will ruin their life. And they don't know that it's ruining their life, but it is indeed crippling them, both emotionally and in their relationships. And I'll tell you in a minute how it is also holding back the blessings of God in their lives. I want to talk to you about this because I'm going to tell you it is running wild like it's everywhere it is prominent in the world that we live in today it's all around you and believe it or not it is very very easy for you to get caught up in it and take it on yourself I've had good church members good friends that I've known for years that once they got a spirit of offense they totally switched their personality and became a different person all because of this spirit. So let me jump right into it. Matthew's Gospel chapter 24. Jesus is actually talking about the cross. He's talking to his disciples and he's telling them that he's going to go away and he's explaining to them that they won't always have him around because they're going to murder him. And he's talking about not only will he go away, but one day he's going to come back. And the disciples asked a very good question. They said, what's it going to look like? What's going to be the signs of when you come back? And Jesus is telling them things like, if you tear the temple down, I'll build it back up after three days. I, I, whatever is taken away will be restored. And then they ask him this question, what's the signs of your coming at the end of the world? And he begins in verse 10, and he says, What's it going to look like when I get ready to come back? When the rapture's about to happen? Here's what it's going to look like, verse 10. Many shall be offended. They shall betray one another. They shall hate one another. And many false prophets will rise, shall deceive 
many. I don't even have time to talk about that in this past election. I'll, let, I'll just let that lay. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many will wax cold. You want to know what the danger of you getting under the influence of the Spirit is? You're causing other people to fall out of love with Jesus. And their love will wax cold. Not only will they fall out of love with Jesus, they'll fall out of love with one another. And their love will wax cold. And verse 13 says, But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Now what do you have to endure to the end? What he just talked about. See, for years and years and years, the church we taught enduring to the end is I'm a, I'm a good Christian soldier and I'm just going to hold on to the end. That's, you gotta pre, you got to read the Bible in context. Jesus just told us what we have to endure. Let's look at the three things he said that we have to endure. Many will be offended, many will betray each other, and many will hate each other. He said if you can endure this life without hating folks, betraying everybody, and getting offended, you will be saved. So for years and years and years, we thought that just meant, well, I just got to come to church and keep praying. No, Jesus told you. What's it going to look like when I come back? The people that aren't offended at everything. The people that aren't hating everybody. And the people that aren't betraying each other. That means that they're going to stick a knife in each other's backs. They're going to lie to each other. They're going to scandalize one another's names. And they're going to hate with a visceral hate each other. Huh? And, and, and while none of these things are new, they've been going on since Cain killed Abel. Jesus said, at the end of time, it's going to be really, really bad. So that day has come. Folks are offended. And they're offended over everything. That's what this series was about. Cancel culture. They're living offended lives. And Christians, church, hear me. We're not exempt from it. It gets inside the church too. Make no mistake about it. The church has gotten offended too. Members get offended at pastors. Pastors get offended at members. Do you, do you know how many friends of mine through this COVID because I'm on the state council and, and so my number's out and people call me for advice and stuff. Do you know how many of my friends, and I'm sure it happened to me as well, they just didn't call me and tell me. Do you know how many members got offended during pastors during this whole COVID mess? Because you got members that got offended at, that, that the pastor shut the church down. And in the same church you got members that got offended that the church opened back up. And then we were literally in a no-win situation. There was no way for pastors to make everybody happy. Somebody was going to get upset with pastors during this whole situation because in the same church house, we got folks that will come every Sunday and say, we should have never closed. We shouldn't be not hugging each other. We should be fellowshipping and loving on each other. We should have faith and trust the Holy Ghost. And in the same house, you got people that still hasn't trusted and came back to church yet. How are we supposed to manage that? We got people that think the pastor shut the doors too soon and in the same pew, folks that believe we opened them too quickly. How are we supposed to manage that? So it's easy, and I want you to understand this, it's easy for us to get offended, okay? Employees get offended by their bosses and they'll quit good jobs. Jobs we help them pray for. 
Jobs that when they was unemployed, we all gathered around the altar and prayed for them to get a job. Now they're up and quitting it because they got offended. People that were single prayed for a spouse. We helped them pray. I married them in front of God and you good people. And they get offended. And they'll go down to the courthouse and they'll file an edict of divorcement. And they'll call it irreconcilable differences. Do you know what that means? That means I got offended and I can't get over it. I don't see things the way you see things. We're irreconcilable. And we get mad and frustrated and emotional. And we blame everything and everybody except the real cause. And that happens more and more than we'd like to admit it. We wake up that way. And we, if we live long enough with this spirit, it becomes our disposition. You become known as the angry lady. You become known as the guy who loses his temper or his short-tempered. You become known as the jealous type. And what happened was you lived with this spirit for so long, it changed your personality. Do you hear how quiet it is in here? Because what happens is it shapes and forms how you interact with other people. Being offended, the spirit of offense, here's the danger. The spirit of offense chokes off ordinary conversation. That has never become more evident than what we just went through in 2020. Have you ever tried to talk to somebody that is offended? They simply cannot hear what you are saying. You can have it written in the newspaper and they can't read it. Because the spirit of offense makes you deaf and blind. You hear with offended ears. You see with offended eyes. And no matter how much information or truth is presented, you're incapable of seeing through your offense. It literally consumes you to the point that if you try to talk logically to somebody who's offended, they can't hear you. It chokes off conversation and that's what's going on in this nation we can't be civil with each other anymore whether it's politics or wearing masks or Pentecostals against Catholics or people that live on the north side against the people that live down on the south side we can't talk to each other anymore we can't be civil because we're all offended I'm angry I'm offended I'm frustrated I'm mad and because of that I'm right and I'm just going to shout louder than you I'm going to shout over you and I'm not going to hear anything you say because I've already made up my mind I'm right and you're wrong so everything that is said to them falls on deaf ears and it chokes off not only conversation it chokes off forgiveness. It chokes off tolerance. Let me preach right there for a minute. Because we preach that we want people to be tolerant, but we're not tolerant of other people. What we really mean is, I want everybody to think like I think and act like I act and believe what I believe. When I say tolerance, what I really mean is, I want you to think like me. But I'm not willing to ever think like you. So when we start talking about tolerance, if, we don't, if they don't vote for who we vote for or, or say everything that we think they're supposed to say, we lose our ability to be tolerant. 
And here's where the spirit of rebellion comes in. And the spirit of rebellion works hand in hand with the spirit of offense. Because when you get offended, you become rebellious. Because here's what you do. You stop listening and believing that another person can simply make a mistake. Everybody who says something contrary to the way you believe it isn't evil. Sometimes people just say stupid stuff. I'm thankful that social media wasn't around when I was 16, 17, 19, and 27 because I said some stupid stuff that I'm glad I didn't have a chance to tweet. I'm glad every dumb thing that came out of my mouth hasn't been written in stone in posterity. I said some stuff that would probably get me canceled as a pastor because I was stupid. But only in the nation and the world we live in today does stupidity get you canceled. We've lost our ability to be tolerant and realize that people simply make mistakes and it doesn't necessarily make them evil. It doesn't necessarily mean that they hate an entire group of people just because they said one thing, did one thing. But we misconstrue it when we get this spirit of offense. We misconstrue and misapply everything we hear and we make it bigger and we make it more sinister than what it really was. I believe this is the most vicious problem that we have in our society today. It nourishes an attitude of dissatisfaction with life. Especially for those that carry it around like a badge of honor. They beat their chest and they say, I'm mad and I got a right to be mad because I'm this, because I'm that, because I've been oppressed, because I've been hurt, because I've been talked about, because of this and because of that. And we wear that offense with such pride now. What happens is once you become offended once, it becomes much easier to get offended more and more and more often. We don't see that the problem is actually inside of us. We think the problem is everybody else, and we place blame on anybody else except where it needs to fall, which is on me. Hear me when I say this. The spirit of offense is Satan's trap to hold you back from God's blessing in your life. And I believe that recognizing the spirit of offense and capturing it and overcoming it is the key to personal freedom. And it will ultimately unlock the ability for you to enjoy your life and enjoy simple pleasures. Listen, this is 2021, and I know people that cannot go outside on a cool morning with a nice cup of coffee and look up at the sky and say, man, life is good. God is good. I'm enjoying the moment of this world that God has blessed me with. They can't enjoy those simple things because the whole time they're out there, they're teething and seething with anger saying, somebody's on Facebook posting something that I don't like and I don't agree with. And the Supreme Court did this and the president done such and my neighbor did this. And they can't enjoy the miracle of the moment because they're so offended by what everybody else is doing that they're missing what God is standing standing right in front of them saying, look at me. Uh, somebody's holding me down. Somebody's upsetted me. So, somebody is doing something sinister. Somebody's posting something I don't agree with and I got to go straighten it out. And the Supreme Court and the President, it eats you up. It's cancer. It's spiritual and emotional cancer that will eventually kill you we've all had our feelings hurt 
We've all had people do us wrong from time to time. We have all felt insulted by somebody or felt like injustice was done to us. We've all experienced those things. And when our feelings get hurt or some injustice is done, whether it's real or it's made up in our mind, we have to learn how to let those things go because if we don't, resentment starts building up. And that is soon followed by things like indignation and intolerance and hatred And finally, you start seeking some kind of vengeance or restitution. That's a trap. That's the devil's trap. And the more offended you get, the more you justify the hatred that you are spewing toward other people. But a lot of people are just so frustrated and angry, they don't know what to do with the feelings they have. But thank God that Jesus was much smarter than all of them. Because in Luke chapter 17 and verse 1, he already told us, It is impossible, but offenses will come. Did you hear that? It is impossible. It is impossible. I don't care what side of the tracks you live on, it is impossible. I don't care how much money your family had or what socioeconomic situation you lived in, it is impossible. I'm going to go one step further. I don't care what color skin you are or what nation you're originally from. It is impossible. You will not live in this world and not face offense. It is impossible. People are going to be offensive towards you. Things are going to be offensive towards you. You cannot be excluded from offensive things. The Supreme Court's going to make decisions that are offensive to you. The president's going to say things that are offensive to you. Your neighbor is going to let a vine grow offensively up their deck. And it's going to be offensive to you. They're going to mow grass at a time that is not conducive to your schedule. People get on Facebook and say the dumbest things. I've seen people actually get on Facebook and complain about what time their neighbor was mowing the grass. Can I tell you, that's the spirit of offense. If your neighbor is mowing their grass at a certain time, and it ain't 3 a.m., and it's bothering you, that is a you problem, not a them problem. You need to check yourself. There is something on the inside of you that is gravely off the rails. People rant all day long. Oh, my God, the lines at the grocery store are out the door. People drive too slow. Oh, no, they're driving too fast. It's always something because of the spirit of offense. And catch this. This is what Jesus said. It affects you every day. You hear with offended ears. You see with offended eyes. That means everything you hear goes into a filter. And it's, if it's an offended filter, it tells you that they said something they did not really mean. And what you see through your offended filter, you judge things. And it makes it a bigger deal than it ever really was. Look what James, the brother of Jesus, says in James chapter 4 and verse 1. He says, what is causing these quarrels among you? Now remember, he's not talking to the bar or the strip club or the crack house. He's talking to God's people. God's people fighting? No way. Surely not. These were Holy Ghost-filled Christians that got baptized in the Spirit on the Lord's Day when they were in the upper room. Surely they have not so... 
Paul says, what are you fighting for? Or, uh, James says, what are you fighting for? And then he answers his own question. He says, don't they come from the evil desires at war in you? You mean to tell me that I can be so messed up in me that it causes me to fight with you? That's exactly what James was saying. Did you hear what he said? He said, why are you fighting with each other? Oh, I know why you're fighting with each other. Because you got trash. You got garbage. You've got a spirit of offense on the inside of you. And your person-to-person conflict comes from an inside conflict. And I don't have peace on the inside, and that's the disease. That's the problem. But instead of dealing with it, I take it out on you. Oh, it's quiet, Miss Mortuary. That's the situation, and it's damaging me. I don't have peace inside, so I take it out on other folks. This has been so easy to see since last March. March 15, when the whole world shut down last year. Since everything stopped, this has been easy to see in people. People getting mad over people wearing masks and people getting mad over people not wearing masks. You can go to Walmart and get punched by two different people. Go to Walmart and get slapped in the face because you got a mask on. Put your mask on and somebody else punch you and kick you in the shin. Because everybody's, a sh- everybody's got some kind of opinion and they take it out. Why? Because there's something on the inside that James said, this mess is in you and you're taking it out on other people. So we go to Facebook and we tip tap, tip tap, tip tap, tip tap. And we let everybody know our opinions. And it's other people's fault. Let me give you a little bit of advice. There's other people on this planet. And you can control zero amount of them. Don't get frustrated. Don't get angry. Don't let that spirit of offense get inside of you because of what somebody else did or did not do. That's the best advice you're going to get this week. Because the world is not telling you this. But guess what? November came and went, and so did January. And they elected another president, and he's living in the White House. And guess what? The world didn't stop, and we're still here, and Jesus hasn't come back to collect us yet, and God is still on the throne. Understand that, and don't get offended by all the other stuff. Don't let what other folks are doing or not doing get inside of you, James says, and affect you. You and I have to understand that the spirit of offense makes us dumb. We can't hear right. We can't see right. People speaking logic to us, but we can't understand it. We can't comprehend it. Hear me. Your mind is the gateway to the heart. I don't have time to preach this the way that it deserves, but the Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So let me run down through this with you real quickly. The Bible says that the power of what? Life and death lays where? Okay, the power of what? Life and what? Say it loud. Life and death are in the... Okay, so that means that life or death existing around me. I can't control what you do. 
But life or death consisting, me living, habitating, taking up residence in life or death isn't your fault or the president or the government or the pastor or anybody else. Where I live, life or death, I created that world. My mouth, my mouth spoke life, my mouth spoke death, and I'm living. When God got ready to create everything you see, you know what he did? He spoke it. God created his world, you have created yours. So where you are living, life or death, you created it with your mouth. So let's go backwards. Instead of, instead of building forward, let's build backwards. If I'm going to speak life or death... What do I speak? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth. So if I'm going to speak right, i got to first have my heart right. And I can't just have my heart right. i got to have so much of it that it's an abundance. i got to have an overflow because the Bible said my mouth can lie. My mouth can misconstrue what's really going on the inside of me. Some of y'all married some folks, found that out way too late. Y'all, uh, this is another sermon for another time. So, <laughs> some of you know that the, what is hidden in the heart doesn't necessarily reveal what comes across the lips, right? People can say a thing but not really mean a thing. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says it's out of the abundance of the heart, which means I might have a lot of conflicting, con contrary things going on in my heart, but whatever I got the most of will spill out. And where does it spill out? It spills out of my lips, and I create an atmosphere, a world that I live in. So, so I, I'm creating my own chaos, or I'm creating my own peace. I'm living with the spirit of conflict and spirit of confusion and a spirit of rebellion and a spirit of, of never being satisfied, don't blame your ex. They didn't put anything in you that you didn't let in. Not only did you let it in, you let it in with such abundance that now it overflows out of your heart and comes out of your mouth. So if you want to change your world, you can't just show up at church on Sunday. If you want to change your world, you have to start speaking differently. You've got to start speaking life instead of death. You've got to start speaking faith instead of doubt. You've got to have the confidence that what I say is going to make a difference in the world. And I'm going to have a different world. And I'm not going to walk around offended because I ain't letting you get that much inside of me. No matter what you do to me, I will not lose sleep over it. I will not turn my world upside down. I will not give myself ulcers because of something you did. You might be a knucklehead. You might hate me. You might talk about me. You might scandalize me, but honey, at the end of the night, I'm going to speak my world into peace, lay my head on the pillow, and go to sleep. But I have to have my heart right so that it's an overflow. Did you hear what I just said? I just did a whole lot of preaching right there. And you'll never change what's in your heart until you change what's in your head. So I'm going to change what's on my lips. If I'm going to change my world, i got to change what's on my lips. I'm going to change what's on my lips. I have to first change what's in my heart. But I'm never going to be able to change what's in my heart until I first change the gateway 
to the heart, which is my head. Uh, if I want to change my reality, my world, I'm going to have to do what Philippians 4 and 8 says. Paul tells us to fix our thoughts. Look, look what he says. Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. He said, before I let you go. See, Paul's, Paul's a preacher. He's a pastor. I got one more thing before I let you go. One more point. I don't have one more point. I still got a few more. Paul's almost done. Pastor isn't. Now, brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. Notice he didn't start with the lips. He didn't start with the heart. He said, you want to get this thing right? It all starts right here. This six-inch piece of territory between your ears is where you're losing the battle. Fix your thoughts on what is what? Oh, say it loud. What is what? What is true? What is true? Not Fox true. Not CNN true. Not Facebook true. Not your somebody's dog catcher's uncle's babysitter's lawyer's heard it from somebody's true. But what is true? And we all know where truth comes from. There is one true and his name is Jesus. Fix your Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about that. Stop thinking about what somebody did you wrong. Stop thinking about how held back you was. Stop thinking about the mess that you went through. Stop thinking about the abuse you suffered. Stop thinking about all the hurt you endured. And think on these things. And when you get your mind right, your heart will get right. Your lips will start speaking right. And your world will change. That's good preaching, preacher. You'll never change what's in your heart until you've changed this thing called your mind. He says fix. You know what fix means? It means anchor to. Anchor your thoughts to truth. And I can tell you right now that if he wants us to anchor our thoughts to truth, that means the enemy wants us to do the exact opposite. Hello? Listen to what the Bible says about the devil and your thoughts. Jeremiah 7 and 8. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit you. What? Does, does that really say that I trust in lying words? I do it every day. Some of you do it every single day. Turn that Facebook off. Turn that media off. Can I tell you that they are paid and are making bazillions of dollars to lie to you? To misrepresent the truth to you? Because they want you inflamed. They want me angry. They don't appreciate you as a person. They appreciate your views and your clicks and your likes because it's putting money in their pockets. And their intention is not to educate or inform you. Their intention is to enrage and engorge you because they know that if they make you angry enough or if they make you incendiary enough, you're going to come back and you have found your people and you have found your pride and you're going to continue you to believe a lie listen to what Colossians chapter 2 and verse 4 says now I say this Paul says lest anybody should deceive you with pervasive words 
He said, I'm trying to tell you the truth so you quit listening to folks lying to you. And hear me, he's talking to the church. This is Bible, I didn't make this up. Colossians 2 and 4, Paul says, I warn you not to let anybody deceive you. What do you think's going on in this world? You're being deceived. The media is lying to you. They all are. Because they know that fear sells. Anger sells. John chapter 8 verse 44, Jesus said it like this. If you're going to listen to liars, he said, you are the children of your father, the devil. And he was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character because he is a liar and the father of lies. You know what Jesus is saying to the church here? He's saying when I tell you the truth, you don't want to believe it. Because you've listened to lies for so long. When I try to present the truth to you, you don't even want to hear it. Jesus said you get so used to believing lies that you won't believe. That's the spirit of offense. You can't reason with somebody who's offended because they hear with offended ears even when it's Jesus talking to them. I've been offended. I'm going to admit it. I have been offended. And when people talked to me, I couldn't hear what they were saying because I was locked into my mindset. And I was angry. And I was frustrated. And I was jealous. And I was rage-filled. And whatever it is, I get locked into it and I don't listen. And that's exactly what Jesus is teaching us here in John 8 and 44. He says, you are the children of your father who is the devil. He's the one who sells lies and you're the one buying it. Do you realize you were created to enjoy life? Jesus said in John 10 and 10, the, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He said, I don't want you to wait to get to heaven to enjoy life. I want you to enjoy life right now. I don't want you to be miserable now and just enjoy heaven. He wants you to have a good life now, okay? And transforming your mind is difficult because life is difficult. And when you get ready to change your mind or transform your mind, you're carrying around all this old garbage. That's why a lot of church people come to church on Sunday, but they're not really happy people. They don't really live a happy life. They come to church and they raise their hands and they cry, and maybe they speak in tongues and clap and praise the Lord, but they're not really happy people. They don't like the house they're living in. They don't like their spouse. They hate their job. They're miserable. Their kids are too much. They got more bills than they can pay. And they just hate life in general. And all the reason is, is because their mind is set on a lot of things that God doesn't want our mind set on. If you're waiting on me to start preaching, I'm already there. So if you don't like where your life is heading, change something. Stop waiting on somebody else to do it. If you're I ain't trying to get in your business, I ain't trying to hurt your feelings, but I promise you this. God does not want His people sitting around waiting for a stimulus check from the government to make you excited. If a $600 stimulus check is all you've looked forward to this whole year, you have missed the joy of the Lord, which is supposed to be your strength. So if you don't like where your life is heading, stop looking at stuff that God don't intend for you to focus on anyway. That means your words have to start repeating what's in your heart. But your heart will only repeat what it heard your mind say over and over and over. If you want to know how 
the world was created, it was through the power of the tongue. So the tongue gets what it says out of the abundance of the heart. Uh huh. So what fed your heart was your mind. So your words are creating a world. How'd you get here? How'd you get so angry? How'd you end up 35 years old and divorced and just hateful? You don't trust nobody. You don't believe people when they talk to you. You always are cynical and critical and think the worst of everybody because you're offended at everything. How did you create this world you are living in? Let's look at actors, shall we? You know what an actor is, right? An actor is somebody who is living a lie. An actor is somebody that is portraying a story that is not their story. They're living a lie. And they're trying to make you believe their lie. That's what an actor does. And in order for them to do that, an actor or an actress has to be really good at portraying a lie. So they have to do this thing called rehearse. They rehearse a lie until the lie feels like truth. Because in order for them to get a, come across to you like they're telling the truth to you, they have to get over it over and over and over. Rehearse it, rehearse it, rehearse it, okay? They're memorizing their lies. And the reason that they have to memorize it is because it's not real. It's counterproductive to what their brain is telling them their experience is, but they want to believe a lie so they continue to rehearse it until it feels real. So they have to train their mind to believe a made-up story. And they rehearse it over and over. And I wouldn't be telling you this on a Sunday morning in church, except this is the same thing you do. And this is the same thing I do. We may not live in Hollywood, but you do it exactly where you live in your relationships. And if you don't believe me, there's an actual phenomenon about it, and I've taught about it in church before. It's the Bedar Minoff phenomenon. We actually call it frequency illusion. Frequency illusion. In other words, an illusion's not real. But if you see something enough times, you start to believe it even though it's not real. Here's what that means. So a few months ago, I went out and bought a black Ford F-150. I got tired of not having a lifted truck. The redneck in me just keeps coming back to the surface. So I had a lifted Jeep, and I had a lifted Silverado, and I said, I'm tired of getting modified stickers. I'm going to get me a truck, and I'm going to leave it on the ground. And I did until I couldn't take it no more. And I went and got me a black Ford XLT F-150. And since I got that black F-150, do you know how many black F-150s I have seen on the road? Now, back last summer, the, nobody had a black F-150. Didn't nobody, especially not one with a lift kit on it. Nobody had black. There was red ones and blue ones and white ones. Green ones, beige ones, but there wasn't no black ones on the road until I went and bought one. And now, there's black F-150s everywhere. Now, frequency illusion tells me that the black F-150s was always there. 
that everybody did not just go out and start buying black F-150s because I bought one. The trucks was always there, but I wasn't aware of them until I started looking for them. The number and the type of car has not increased. What has increased is my awareness. So I started paying attention. I'm rehearsing. Every time I go out now, I'm sitting in a black F-150 and I'm looking for black F-150s. I'm aware that they exist now. Have you ever noticed that? You buy the new shoes and you think you're the only one that knows that Nike's coming out with a new pair? And you go out and buy and put your $150 down and all of a sudden everybody's got new Nikes on like you was, like you was the only one that knew that they were coming out? But you see everybody else wearing the same shoes you got. Black F-150, black truck. I'm rehearsing, black truck, black truck. You're rehearsing red shoes, red shoes, red hurt. And I see how many black trucks are on the road because I've been rehearsing it. Do you know you can do the same thing with your life? That's what the spirit of offense does to you. It makes you rehearse all the bad stuff that happened to you. And you start believing lies even though the truth is staring you in the face. You start seeing lies everywhere. Hello? Do you have any idea how many things you believe right now that aren't true? Boy, it's quiet in here. Do you have any idea how many things you're mad about right now that aren't even true? I can't believe they fired Sally. I liked Sally. She was a lot of fun at lunch. Well, Sally was stealing money out of the register. And see, you don't know that part of the story. All you know is that mean old boss done fired Sally and I don't get to hang out with her at lunchtime anymore. But there's another side to Sally's story. Sally was a thief. But you're offended at the boss, which by the way, ain't got nothing to do with you whatsoever. And you're offended at the boss for something that he didn't do to you, that ain't got nothing to do with you, and you don't even have all the truth. Somebody say amen. You believe things because you have rehearsed them. Because somebody told you something and you believed it and you rehearsed it until you believed a lie. You know how many people are out there today mad at you and don't like you and don't respect you and don't appreciate you all because somebody else lied to them about you? Do you have any idea? Listen, I've come to grips with it because I'm a pastor and folks are always going to be talking about pastors. I came to grip with it a long time ago. I'm a pastor and, and pastors have rubbed people the wrong way since the first sermon was preached. Jesus rubbed people the wrong way for Pete's sake. And there are people that believe lies about me because somebody said something to them about me and they rehearsed it and they believe it, but they've never came to me and asked me about it. But they believe a lie and they've rehearsed it until it became their truth. And that's what we all do. And that's what the spirit of offense does. Because whatever you focus on gets bigger. It magnifies in your life. If you focus on the bad that happened to you, you'll never see the good. If you focus on the curses, you'll never witness the blessings. If you see nothing except what they have done to hurt you, you'll never see all the times they showed up when nobody else did. We magnify things that we look at for a long time. We get our eyes fixed on, what Paul say? Fix your eyes on the truth. But what if you fix your eyes on a lie? It expands. It gets bigger. And here's what happens. Everything that person does from that point forward offends you. It makes you angry. You don't believe me? Okay. 
You ever notice how people that are positive always have positive things happening to them? And have you ever noticed the opposite? Everybody, people who are negative always seem to have negative things happening to them. Could it be that God don't love the positive person more than he loves the negative person, but we find what we're looking for? If I get up in the day and I set my eyes on seeing the good, seeing the positive, seeing the blessing, I'm going to find what I'm looking for. But if I get up and I set my eyes on finding stuff that's going to enrage me, make me mad, make me hurt, make me angry, that's what I'm going to find. Could it be that when I'm a positive person, I'm creating a positive atmosphere that attracts positive things to me? And if I'm a negative person, I'm creating a negative atmosphere that is growing and sowing and reaping negative things. Here's what the spirit of offense will do to you. It will cause you to overlook blessings in your life because you see a lie and you're not able to see through offended eyes and see the blessings. Jesus said, when I speak the truth to you, you don't believe it because you've listened to a lie. You've become addicted to listening to lies and you would rather believe a lie than you would hear the truth. Here's the thing. I see black Ford trucks everywhere I go now. Why? Because of frequency illusion. Say that word, illusion. You know what illusion is, right? It's not real. It's fantasy. It's made up. It's something you rehearse. It's a lie. Frequency illusion means I see it everywhere I go because I'm looking for it. I'm, 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 I'm about to get to the end of this. I just need you to stay with me just a few more minutes. I know I've been a long time, but just, just a few more minutes. I'm looking for black Ford trucks. I don't hardly leave the house without seeing one. I never saw them before I was looking for them, but they were there. And you'll do the same thing with offenses. Those same offenses was always there. You don't pick them out till you're looking for them. And if you're looking for them, you'll find them every time you leave the house. That's why Paul says, fix your eyes and your mind on the truth. So everywhere you go, you see the truth instead of seeing all these lies that the devil has spoke to you. But if you have your mind fixed on things that make you angry, you know what you're going to see everywhere you go? Things that make you angry. Just like my black Ford truck, you're going to see it. How about conspiracy theories? Don't say nothing. I ain't trying to make you, I ain't trying to upset you. But people who believe every stinking conspiracy theory about the virus and about the coins and about the president and about the thing. And, uh, do you know how many rabbit holes you can go down believing this stuff? And if you get your mind fixed on it, you will become delusional. They may need to put you in a white jacket in a rubber room because you're no longer a functional member of society. Because everything in your brain makes you angry and frustrated and fear-filled and you don't believe anything even when the evidence is right in front of your face. You wonder why people run when they see you coming. <laughs> it's because of what they see coming out and hear coming out of you. Black Ford truck. Everywhere I go, black Ford truck. Women that will get abandoned by a man, he leaves her for another woman. She never finds happiness in another relationship. She will judge every marriage that she ever sees by that man who walked out on her. And she'll tell her girlfriends, oh girl, he's cheating on you. And he's a good man who loves his wife and would never do it. But she sees the signs. 
Don't say nothing, but some of you know these people. Oh, I see the signs. George acted like that before he left. Well, if you didn't act like this, maybe George would have stayed, but that's another story for another time. <laughs> no wonder George left. Poor old George. But she'll see a cheater in every relationship. She'll read the signs. Why? Because she's looking for them. So if you want to change something about your life, the first thing you have to do is change the way you think about your life. It is the time we take responsibility for our actions instead of putting them on other people. Pastor, you don't understand. I'm angry because of what this person did to me. No, you're angry because you have let your mind get fixed on something that makes you angry. And you see that thing everywhere you go. Oh, I make bad choices, Pastor. But the reason I make bad choices is because my mom didn't want me. And she abandoned me. And listen, I'm sorry that your mother abandoned you. But you do realize, don't you, that people just like me have been abandoned by parents. And we went on to make positive choices and different changes in our life. You do realize that, right? We don't let one thing, one moment of our past determine everything that is ahead of us and you can do it too if you choose if they chose you can choose what's your mind fixed on oh my husband if my husband wasn't hateful to me I wouldn't be sad all the time no you wouldn't be sad all the time if you wasn't fixed on everybody else if you put your fixed mind on your kids and on your marriage and on your job and your career, you're always going to find reason. It'll be a black Ford truck. Everything will make you sad because you're fi- trying to find happiness in other people. That's why he said fix your mind on the truth and not on folks. You can't trust people. You can't put your happiness in people. And to help me finish this message, I brought a friend with me. Ain't he cute? Ain't he cute? He's my friend. He's going to help me preach the rest of this message. Now, I'm also going to have my son come up here. Jared, just come up here, if you would. Yeah, just, just go ahead and sit down. You know who this is? Don't you say Dumbo. Because he's got a name. His name is Grudge. This is Grudge. Everybody meet Grudge. Say hi, Grudge. Hi, Grudge. You know what I'm doing right now? I'm holding a grudge. I am. I'm holding a grudge. And you know what? You didn't have a thing to do with me bringing him to church. Right? You didn't have, you didn't have anything to do with me naming him. Keeping him close to me. You didn't have a thing to do with me having him. But I'm going to hold him against you anyway. You didn't have nothing to do with me getting him and, uh, and attaching him to myself and calling him out. No, no, no. But that won't stop me from holding my grudge against you. Even though it ain't got nothing to do with you. And you didn't say the thing, do the thing. You didn't do anything, but I'm still going to hold my grudge Against you, and you know what the good news is? If you hang around me long enough, my grudge will rub off on you, and you can have my grudge. Ain't that cool? <laughs> what do you mean, no? And here's what's even cooler. 
if you keep that grudge around and you keep feeding him and keep him real close, he'll get bigger. And then, boy, you really have an experience with the grudge. That's it right there. Ain't that fun? <laughs> Isn't it fun coming to church and trying to sit and listen to the preacher holding your grudge? Ain't it fun trying to get comfortable and position yourself and take a load off holding your grudge? And you know what's even funner? Is when that grudge is up good, tight, and close and personal, you can't see nothing but the grudge. And the bigger he gets, the harder it is to see anything except the grudge. Now you hold that right there, Jared. Now, Jared, you hold, you hold your grudge because you brought him to church. You hold him. What happens if God shows up and, and does some stuff and you can't see it? What if he shows up with some real nice gifts for you? But you can't see it past the grudge. You know what holding a grudge does up close and personal and letting it grow and get bigger and bigger and bigger? You can't see what's right in front of your face. He blinds you to the good things happening in your world. And all you can see is the grudge. You can't even see it when the answer is near. When it's standing right in front of you and all these blessings that you've prayed for and asked God for, you can't even see it because the grudge has gotten too big and you've held it too long. Now, if you have the grudge and you change what you're looking at like Hebrews chapter 12 teaches us Hebrews chapter 11 we act like the we act like the bible stops where the chapters divide, but it doesn't. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about faith, right? Faith is substance of things, hope for, evidence of things not seen. And it talks about all these people, how Moses had great faith, and Noah built an ark, and Jacob did this, and, and all these people. And it starts talking about the early church. It starts talking about how the people in the early church, they were sawn in two, and they were boiled in the water, and they, mothers saw their sons come back from the dead, and they said they got a great reward for their faith. And chapter 11 closes and chapter 12 opens. And in chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews tells us 
Now that we have gotten this great cloud of witnesses, these people who got a great reward for their faith, now that we're encompassed or surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. You have seen the hurt. You have seen the fear. You have seen the doubt. You've seen people die. You have seen people suffer. You have seen malicious persecution. You have seen all these terrible things. But quit looking at the grudge and fix your eyes on Jesus. And just like the grudge, you can put your grudge down now, Jared. You finally got saved. And just like the grudge, if we put our eyes where they belong, and we get close enough to Him, we can't see the stuff that we used to see. The stuff that used to hurt us, the stuff that used to affect us, the stuff that used to make our blood boil, we can't see it anymore. Because what do you see now, Jerry? I see Jesus. What happens when you, what happens when the news says, Jared, what do you see? Jesus. Uh, what happens when a guy on Facebook says, Jared, what do you see? Jesus. What about when somebody voted differently than you did? Jared, what do you see? Jesus. What about my opinion that I like real good and it's not like yours? Jared, what do you see? Jesus. Uh-huh. What about if I start to... What do you see? Jesus. What do you see, Jared? Jesus. And that's what you're supposed to be looking at, too. But it all starts when you fix your eyes on Jesus. Thank you. So no matter what's happening around you, you can drop it. No matter what's happening around you, if you get Jesus close enough, he's all you're going to see. Mama was like that. I wish I knew more people like that. It matter what was happening around Mama, all she ever saw was Jesus. She never had an ill word to say about nobody or nothing because every time you'd bring something up that was negative or falling apart, she'd always say, Jesus got the answer. Jesus has got that. It's always because she always had her eyes fixed on Jesus. So ask yourself a question today before I let you go. Is your problem really as big as you've made it out to be? Or have you just focused on it? For so long that you've made a bigger deal out of it than it ever was. Why are you so offended? Why are you so hurt? Why are you so angry? You just complained and complained and set all this chaos into the atmosphere and your mind is stuck in a miserable place and your mouth can't help but to repeat what your brain keeps telling it. Have you ever tried to convince somebody that was talented but they don't believe that they're talented? Have you ever tried to convince somebody that they were pretty but they don't believe that they're pretty? You might as well be beating your head against the wall. Because until they get it in their head, all the words in the world won't make any difference. And you do that to yourself too.
Because your heart can't help but to overflow what your mind keeps feeding it. And your lips only repeat what comes out of the heart. So what your mind is fixed on creates the world that you live in. And I pray that this word has not blessed you today. I pray it's changed you today. And I know it's a long one. And I pray that you're going to let this word overcome the spirit that is controlling the world today. Man, this world is offended. I am desperate to see revival break out so we can get over this mess. Everybody is so angry and frustrated and hateful. And and it's all because we don't understand this. You can focus on what went wrong and hold your grudge. Or you can fix your eyes on Jesus. Father, our nation needs a healing today. I need a healing today. My mind, God, my mind is not fixed on you always like it should be. I try my best, but God, sometimes I slip and I let my mind get focused on things that make me angry and frustrated and convoluted and confused and hurt. Sometimes my mind gets focused on the past, things that injured me and caused me great harm and much pain. Sometimes my mind gets fixed on the future. I'm not even been invited into the future yet, and I miss the miracle of the moment because I'm looking so far ahead. The blessing that you have right in front of me, I miss it because I'm seeing with offended eyes and I'm hearing with offended ears. So God, help me. Help my tongue speak the world that I want to live in. Help my heart to receive your truth and help my mind to be fixed on your truth so that I can teach the rest of me how to create the life that I want to live. Help me to stop blaming other people for my sorrows and my grudges and realize I set them And I can destroy them. Let me get my eyes fixed on you. And help this land be healed. In the mighty name of Jesus I pray. Amen. And amen. I'm not telling you you can't ever get angry. What I'm telling you is the more you let anger hang around. He blinds you to every good thing that's in your life. Did this word bless you today? I pray it did. I really do. I pray it did. And I'm going to try not to get too emotional. But you're about to witness one of the greatest honors. that a pastor ever gets to do but few pastors get to do it in this capacity I've had the honor and the privilege of setting seven people into the ministry from my ministry but I never gave any of them life this time so before we leave today I want to have a very short setting forth ceremony for my son and his wife Rachel to come
Jared has answered the call to ministry. Some of you around a few years back. And you know what a praying mama and a praying daddy look like up close and personal. I'd be a liar if I told you I ever saw this day coming. Not in a million years. I could have lived a million years and I would have never believed three years ago that this could be my reality on a Sunday. And Jared and Rachel found in their spirits that this is what God's called them to do. Most of you know him from this big. Then he found a much better half. A whole lot prettier. And now he's decided not to follow in his dad's footsteps because I don't believe that's I don't believe that's his mandate. I think he's gonna outpace his dad. I think he's gonna outrun his dad. I think he's gonna overcome everything that I've ever been able to accomplish. God's got much bigger and much better in store for him. But you as our church family, you join in this setting forth. And the affirmation that you give through your prayers and your words of encouragement will go a million miles toward the development of this couple. I can never repay the people that came alongside me when I first said yes to ministry and encouraged me, the old saints of the church that just encouraged me to run on. I'm tired and I can't do it like I used to do it. I want to see you do it. They just encouraged me. That's what I'm asking you to do. This is my heart. And I know it's some of your heart too. So I want you, if you would, to join your hands. If you're sitting with a significant loved one, to touch and agree. And then also stretch your hand forward to this couple. And I want you to pray God's choicest blessings on them. I want you to pray that God's anointing will fall in their life like fire and that absolutely nothing will overcome or shake them from their destined journey. Father God, in the name of your son, Jesus. personal feelings aside and I just try to look into the spirit God I know I know what you have done in my life and the life of others that have said yes to you and God I pray for Jared and Rachel to receive nothing less 
that signs and wonders will follow them everywhere they go, that the fire of the Holy Spirit will fall and they'll see miracles. They'll see the suspension of natural laws and they'll see the best that you have for their life, God. People will come to know you through the words that they speak and the prayers that they pray. And God, people will be healed. And others will enter into the ministry because of the power that they witness in their life. God, I don't, I don't want to keep them under me. I want them to stand on my shoulders and go higher than I've ever been before. I love you, God. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, God. Thank you for loving us when we're unlovely and saving us when we're ungodly. In the name of Jesus. say we love you church we're blessed we've lived a blessed life if I could choose my human side I'd tell Jared don't do that because while there's been blessings there's been a lot of heartache too but I also know what it's like when that hand is on you and you can't say no to it Thank you for sharing this moment with us. Thank you for enduring my long sermon today. I pray I'm as big of a blessing to you as you have been to us. We love you, Promise of Victory. Love you so much.